You're listening to episode 268 of the 200 Churches Podcast. We cannot lose sight of what this whole pastor thing is all about, which is about the kingdom of God, which is about spreading the love of Jesus around to those who need it the most to see and be part of the transformation that God is doing in the world. A couple weeks ago, I preached that if you needed hope, if you wanted to find hope, that Jesus offered hope, but he also told us that in order to experience that hope, we needed to go join in the work that God is doing in the world. Because hmm. if you don't see God moving, you can't have hope. And the thing is, if you don't see God moving, it's because you're not moving in the right circles. So if you've lost hope today, I would encourage you to get out and go find where God is at work in your community because he's at work and join in the work that God is doing. Join in that kingdom movement and get a dose of hope in your life. That's my word. Go get yourself some hope by joining in what God is doing. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world for five years. Good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I'm here with my good friend and formerly long-haired co-pastor, Johnny Craig. Johnny, how are you? Short hair still? I'm doing good. You know, it's it's shorter, but it's getting longer every week. And Oh, uh, I don't like that. Every week that goes by that my wife doesn't say something about it, I get closer to keeping it. You can't do that again. I'm you're your yeah. children, your boys, your boys will have to be embarrassed with this long-haired, skinny jeans, <laughs> hippie dad. It's uh, you're probably right. I should probably go get it cut. I I'm in that stage where it just looks messy. I went to the hospital to visit somebody today. You know, they have children who are around the same age as I am, and I went in to the hospital, and their children were around, and they were like, "Who's this?" And their parents were like, "This is our pastor." And you could tell that they did not believe it. They were, no, that's not true. <laughs> There's no way that this guy is your pastor. Well, I, I just saw a picture of Joe on Instagram. Oh, and I can't, I got to see this kid. because I can't believe how old he looks. Ah, it's crazy. You and haven't seen has, my kids in so long. I haven't. It's been almost a year. And he has, he has nice short hair. He looks like a fine young gentleman. He does. Unlike his father. His hair is, he's got good short hair. Yes. Much. He looks more like a pastor than you do. He does. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. Johnny, last week we talked, I talked, I stuck in the commercial at length. The, the uh, I say commercial, our sponsor, trainedup.church. Yes. Trainedup.church is the business. I mean, yeah, I'm listening to other podcasts and uh, uh, Scott Magdalene from trainedup.church, boy, he's plying his trade in all on all, a lot of these other podcasts. But if you go to trainedup.church and sign up with a 200 churches, all caps password, you're going to get 10% off for life. Absolutely. And I don't think that you're going to regret it. You go to trainedup.church, you're going to find a library. They got 500 plus videos. They have the ability to shoot your own video and upload it to your volunteers. I tell you what, Jeff, we like these uh, podcasts to be evergreen. So somebody could listen to this in three years and it's the same thing. But this particular moment, I'm looking forward to Easter. And uh, I have some training that I'd like to do with my volunteers for Easter. You know what I mean? And trainedup.org. I'm going to send them right over there. They're going to watch a video and then. .org. .org. You said .org. Oh, trainedup.church. <laughs> trainedup.church. I'll send them over there. 
and they'll be able to get the training that they need. And I'll be able to know when they've seen those videos, when they've gotten the best practices for greeting at the door or for making coffee or whatever it is. So every Sunday is an opportunity for your church to make a first impression. I don't care if you got 10 people or 10,000 people, you're making first impressions. Trainedup.church will help you train your volunteers so that your first impressions go off without a hitch. Speaking of first impressions, Jonathan, yes, I got to speak last week. Unfortunately, you were not able to make the call, but with Reggie McNeil from the Leadership Network, uh, author of The Present Future, author of Kingdom Come, and author of the book that comes out actually today, Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. I love it. And I had we had an opportunity, 200 churches had an opportunity to make a great first impression with Reggie. And unfortunately, I'm not going to name the service that we use to record online. Uh. But it, it failed us. I mean, we're too big. We're too big to be small like that and to say that. So... I want to in the worst <laughs> to name way, names. I'm not going to because that, that recording service failed us. And poor, poor Reggie McNeil had his own voice in his ear almost the entire hour that he and I Ugh. were talking with an echo. And uh, so I was able to salvage very little of our conversation. And I'm going to go back to him hat in hand and record with him over Skype. So now everybody knows Skype is not the, the culprit. So it's, it's just the other one, <laughs> whatever the oh other my one. Goodness. That's so, yeah, it's too bad. As far as first impressions go, Reggie is being generous and kind and forgiving toward us. Um, but I'm glad that you got to salvage some of it that we're going to be able to let our folks listen to right now. Jeff, I'm envious of you that I did not to get to be part of this conversation. Maybe I'll be able to jump on to the next one. Yes. Um, but it, it's uh, it's an exciting it's an exciting time for Reggie. He's got his book coming out. He's doing you know the podcast circuit a little bit, and he spent some time with you. Now, do you want to tee this clip up for people at all? Yeah, this is just the beginning of our conversation. So he introduces himself and some of the things he's been involved in. He's involved with something called Something Cities, uh, Good Cities, I think is what it's called. And uh, he talks about that a little bit, which is which is really cool. And then uh, I ask him a question at the end of the episode. And I thought he hit this question out of the park because, I mean, our goal is to encourage and inspire pastors of small churches. Yeah. And and I asked him a small church question. And mm. I honestly, I wasn't sure how hopeful his answer was going to be for small church pastors, but it's very hopeful. It's very hopeful and very encouraging. So the, I want to play the intro to the episode. He and I just getting to know each other a little bit, and then I want to jump right toward the back. We're jumping like right into the meat of uh, how to be an, an outward church and not an inward church, uh, yeah. because, you know, a, let's face it, a lot of our churches, no matter what size, a lot of our churches as pastors, we struggle with trying to make them an outward-focused church. Absolutely. You know, they're just, in, in many ways, they're just not. And if you can, by hook or by crook, get your church to be outward-focused for a while, then you've got the chore of keeping it outward-focused. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, we, want it, we tend toward institutionalism and protecting, you know, what we have here on the inside. So that was what we talked about for honestly almost an hour. It was a 
it was a great conversation that unfortunately won't go much farther than my ears. Uh, but like I said, <laughs> I, I'm going to get him on again. And I know he'd be willing. Uh, I know he would. Besides, I have a cell phone number. So that kind of, you know, I could bug him until Jesus comes. So I think he'll give me, give me the second shot at it. So anyway, yeah, Johnny, let's, uh, let's just go ahead and uh, air what we have. And then we'll pick it up on the other side. Reggie McNeil, thanks for joining us on the 200 Churches podcast. Hey, glad to be here. For people who don't know who you are, there, there actually are a few of them. Would you just introduce yourself? Billion people who don't know who I am. But, uh, <laughs> well, there are billions of people who don't know who either one of us are, but at least introduce yourself to the few that are our listeners. I am the son of a Baptist pastor. I come from a ministry family. I have two older brothers that were pastors, and my two sisters married to pastors. My dad was a pastor. His older brother was a pastor. My granddad was a pastor. His seven brothers are pastors. There's been at least one member of my family that's been clergy in every generation going back to a chaplain to the Continental Regular. So my family single-handedly has screwed up the North American church. <laughs> Whatever you think is wrong with the church, if you do, uh, it's our fault, really. We did it. Uh, it's a pretty rich uh, heritage to come from. I, I've been married to Kathy now. Uh, we met in seminary. Uh, so besides picking up a theology education, theological education, I picked up a wife there, and, uh, and she by far it's the best thing that's ever happened. We've been married 37 years, have two grown daughters, married, a couple, uh, three, well, two grandchildren, third one due next month. Nice. I spent 20 years in local congregational ministry. Uh, half of that was as a senior pastor of a, a brand new congregation. And so I certainly have been pastoring a church of uh, 200 or, or less. I, that was part of my pilgrimage there. So I, I get where a lot of uh, our listeners are. Then I was in a denominational executive role for 13 years and the last 10 years with the Leadership Network. I'm now their senior fellow. I call it senile fellow, and they do too. But anyway, uh, but publicly, it's a senior fellow, and I'm working as a city coach with Good Cities out of Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. Friend of mine, uh, Glenn Barth, is the president. I'm the other guy in that organization. We work with city groups that are trying to move the needle on big societal issues. So I'm pretty uh, pretty jazzed to talk with your crowd and let you know I've got a, a pretty decent grasp of, of what it means to pastor in a small town all the way to uh, working with folks on a citywide or even statewide level. Well, that's cool. And you are talking to a couple thousand small church pastors. But now you talked about this group in, in the Twin Cities. Yeah. T tell us just a little bit about that before we get into some of what you've written about that's caused me as a pastor, uh, no small amount of consternation in the past several years. Talk about the Twin Cities thing. Well, Good Cities is 10 years old, and uh, it comes out of uh, Glenn's work. He, he did some work, uh, graduate work with Ray Bakke and, and Urban Ministries. and then But but Glenn probably, I would say, is the foremost go-to guy. If you want to know what's happening, what networks are active, uh, I mean, faith group networks, just name a city. I mean, Glenn knows who's there, what what they're up to. What he and I have teamed together to do, or at least one of the things, this is in the portfolio of Good Cities. This is my part of that portfolio. He, Glenn does coaching for city leaders and all kinds of stuff. My role is I'm working with groups of pastors, typically in a city that may have been meeting together or maybe they're kind of new to each other, but oftentimes they know each other already. So there's some relational stability there. 
and relational uh, credentialing between them. And they say, you know, we're going to, it's great that we meet together, we pray together, but we we really want to make a difference in, you know, lowering the number of kids in first grade who Uh are at risk uh, with literacy, or we really want to help in some microeconomic development so that people in an under-resourced part of town can begin to experience some job creation or in other words, these are these are people that have a vision that extends beyond their local congregations, what I call a kingdom vision, really, and we'll get into that, I'm sure. But they really want to raise the love, the quality of living uh, or life in uh, in their community, and so they're they're taking on big issues, and they want to cooperate because the church can't do this by itself. I mean, one of the things you learn, one of the reasons the kingdom is so powerful, is once you get out and you start playing in the streets. Uh, you know, you come out from doing just church stuff, uh, you suddenly realize, man, we can't do this stuff by ourselves. Well, that's exactly right. And that's by design. God made it that way. So you have to work collaboratively across domains. So you have to connect with educational sector, government sector, the business sector, uh, you know, and begin to collaborate on some of these big community initiatives. And all of that takes coaching and uh, some help. And so that's what I do. So I'm pretty jazzed. Uh, I've had a chance to work with, uh, you know, a couple dozen of these groups uh, so far over the last years in kind of a research and kind of an R&D mode, really, at leadership development, I mean, leadership network. But now instead of inviting groups to come to Dallas to strategize, we want to go into cities and be able to really uh, galvanize entire groups of folks right there. So it sounds like there's some cross-pollination going on between your work with the Leadership Network and your work with Good Cities. Oh, yes, completely. Might even make you write a book about it. You know, if I ever, I, yeah, I've, I, I should think about writing. Uh, I really should. So, Reggie, uh, it was about, I don't know, 10 years ago that uh, one of my elders came into my office with a twinkle in his eye and a book in his hand titled The Present Future. And he started talking to me about club member services and all this stuff. And so I got a copy of the book and we read it. It caused us to think a lot about our church and how we did things and about the church and how churches did things. And now you've got, literally on the day this is coming out, just yesterday, your book, Kingdom Collaborators, has been released. Now, I ordered a copy this afternoon. I didn't get the digital copy. Uh, I, I actually ordered the physical copy of the book, so it, I'll be getting it next week. So I, I just want to say that I put my money where my mouth is on this one, and I just want to encourage others to, uh, uh, I think the thing was like $16. And this is going to be worth way more than two movie tickets. Well, I mean, well, thank you. I, that, that explains it. Amazon called me a little while ago and said, somebody ordered your book. What's up with that? So <laughs> there you go. You got every time it gets ordered. <laughs> so speaking of scorecards, let's just go here for a second. If, a, if there's a church that still is counting Sunday morning attendance, if they're going to count, Reggie, if they're going to count and they just can't help it, they've just got those bean fingers and they got to count those beans, what should they be counting? If we're going to bother to keep track, what should we be keeping track? I absolutely am not so naive as to believe that we won't keep counting how many folks come and how much money they bring with them. We're going to do that. What I argue for is an expanded scorecard that may do things like how many community service hours have our folks done this week? You know, Uh, how many 
neighbors have we had a spiritual conversation with this week? Uh, I can promise you our conversion rate's not going to go up to our conversation rate does. Or how many kids are we feeding on the weekend so that, you know, their brains aren't being starved because they're not, the schools aren't there to feed them. I mean, in other words, it's not a templated scorecard. It's a customized scorecard, but it, it, it builds on that particular congregation's intersection and particular strategy for influencing their community. And I want to extract from that, okay, if you want to have that kind of influence, then what are some things that we need to measure and pay attention to? Again, to fall outside of these church-related or merely church institutional expression numbers. That's really good. As we've seen this phenomenon of people coming to church less, if they came every week and you had 100, you've got an average of 100. If they only come twice a month, then you've got an average of 50. Still the same number of people. But it looks like your congregation is cut in half. So we talk about, okay, so how, now how do we count then? Because you've got different cultural practices. But I really like what you just said. How many conversations with neighbors, et cetera. These things that have to happen. Uh, what are they, what are they called? The, the lead, lead that, and lag? It. Yeah. What are the lead factors that will get us those lag factors, which if you want to count the number of folks that are becoming disciples, you got to have a bunch of stuff that goes into that. You know, how many of our people are prayer walking our neighborhoods? Uh, you know, I mean, this can go on and on. And it's way more fun to imagine some different things that we can start celebrating uh, besides just how many folks show up. Reggie, if I'm a small church pastor and I've got 50 people and they're just really inward focused and I'm like listening to this. And I'm starting to feel like, man, I, I got to get out of here or I got to start something new or, or, or I'm doomed, just like you were doomed to be a pastor by your heritage, <laughs> right? Um, what kind of hope can you give a pastor of a smaller congregation that's just really inward focused? Yeah. I mean, what are, should he just go to God for just a week of pleading out for help? Or, or like, what do you say to them? I'm, I'm happy for them to go to God, and I think he'll be a help. But if, if you're asking for some opinion on my side— one of the things, there are two things I always say. First of all, it's what do you do personally? You need to get out and play. And whatever it is you want to see happen, start doing it. I mean, if you want to see your church engaged in helping kids learn to read, then go read to the second grade class, Miss Field's second grade class on Tuesday afternoon. You'll volunteer yourself. Start talking about that. There'll be people in your church who will follow your lead because you're setting for them an example. Then on the corporate side, when churches say, okay, we need to do something, I can tell you every single time the quickest way to engage the community is to get involved in the local public school system somehow. The elementary school that's closest to you or the school that's closest to you or the Title I school that's closest and And, you know, you go to the school and you just ask the question. The pastor can do this without having to vote on it having a study group look at it. You could go to that principal and say, look, I don't know. I'm not here to promise you anything, but I'd like to know what one or two or three things you think we could do that would serve you and help you accomplish your mission. I can promise you just starting from there, then as you get involved in the school, uh, because everything that's going on in our local communities is manifesting in our local school. So that guidance counselor, that principal, they can tell you 
drug addiction, you know, Oxycontin, uh, you know, uh, they, I mean, they can tell you exactly uh, the big challenges in a community that we don't even talk about at church with maybe 10% of our people sitting out there addicted to that. You hope the sermon doesn't long. So we're, we're trying to, I want to build some on-ramps, your own personal engagement as a pastor, and if corporately, if you just got a few people, and that's the other thing, to give you hope, you don't have to have majority vote on this. Your church is never going to vote to go mission. I can tell you that. If you put it up to a vote, they're going to vote to go back to Egypt. That's just the way people are. Because we prefer the problems we know over the problems we don't know. You know, if we don't work, don't vote on it for crying out loud. Just start doing it. And you're looking for critical mass, which you will reach way before majority vote. If you get you know, a couple of champions. Well, I can remember I was working with this congregation, this Episcopal congregation. You know, I was there one year between visits. And in the meantime, they'd started a mentoring program. It's a junior high school. And they had, you know, several dozen people involved. In it. And one of them was a guy that uh, the pastor was telling me about this guy's success with his students. I said, well, what do you do? And the pastor shook his head. So the pastor said, well, I'll tell you. He, he took a, a guy that had, a young man who failed eighth grade. Not only did he help him pass eighth grade, he's now knocking the ball out of the park in ninth grade. I said, Fred, what are you doing with this kid? Oh, not much, you know, shaking his head again. And he said, and he, I said, no, come on. He said, well, we have breakfast once a week. I just make sure he has what he needs. You can read between the lines on all that. And, I, and then I said, man, Fred, what you're doing is helping this kid so much. By now, Fred's crying. He's shaking his head yet again. He says, no, what this kid's doing for me is way more than I'm doing for him. Now, Fred is in his 70s, by the way, and has been a loyal church member for his whole life. He's experiencing life now through helping somebody. I mean, what if Jesus, what, I mean, what if this stuff is real about loving your neighbor? What if Jesus was serious about it? And it's life-giving to give away instead of just to receive. So you get Fred up in front of the church. You get you one or two folks like that that get touched by something. Get them up in front of the church and have them talk about it. And they are viral kingdom agents. They'll infect a whole bunch of other people. And you don't vote on it. You're just infecting people with the kingdom. And that's, that's what I would say. Well, that's probably the shortest guest uh, spot we've done in <laughs> scores of episodes, but unfortunately, Absolutely. yeah, that was all that, that came out. But in Reggie's book, he's got these eight signature practices of leaders who turn the world upside down, you know, obviously out of the book of Acts when they were in Thessalonica. The first practice is pray with eyes wide open. And okay. talked about that. We didn't get to hear it, but he did. Uh, and basically how that's the foundation of anything. And then foment dissatisfaction with the status quo, Ooh, which reminds me of Andy Stanley's uh, teaching on challenge the process. Sure. Right. So the status quo is uh, is bad. You know, it's just bad. We should Always. never, you know, never be satisfied with it. And yeah. uh, so that's the second one. The third one is combine social and spiritual entrepreneurship. Hmm. That's the idea of kingdom businesses. Oh, okay, sure. And no matter what business you're creating or, or what kind of a business you're starting as an entrepreneur, if you are an entrepreneur, you know, how, how do you make it a kingdom business? I like that. I like that. So, Johnny, can you imagine you, what, 
what kind of a business could you start where you would look at it and say, yeah, there's no way I can make this a kingdom business. There's no way I can interject my being the church, the part of the body of Christ into this business. I think if, if you started a business like that, you're starting the wrong kind of business, first of all. Because, yeah, as kingdom people, we are called to live out the kingdom of God in all spheres of our life. I remember at our last church, Jeff, uh, there was a, a guy and he was part owner of a company. And he uh, came to a Sunday school class that I led for a while. And we were going through a pretty radical book, a book that uh, questioned the status quo, a book that some folks in the church got mad at me for <laughs> going through. Yeah. And uh, he, at the end of this class, I mean, this is a man in his 50s who has all the financial power, you know, in the room. And he says to me, man, I have never, I've never had to think about if my business was like a kingdom business before. And that gives me a lot to think about. How could I run this business in a way that is reflecting of the kingdom of God? I don't have answers. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a business owner. Um, but certainly it's a question that needs to be asked. And and I hope that if, you know, if people come to you as a pastor and, and want to talk about that question, or maybe you're a bivocational pastor and you have a business, uh, that those are things that you're working into the DNA of your business or or things that you can help converse with folks about if they come in and say, Hey, I own a business. I, I, you know, I started this business, whatever it is, and I'm coming up against this staffing situation. And I want to know what would be the kingdom way to deal with it. Uh, that you would have an answer that you'd be able to process with folks for the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, you know, an easy one is, you know, as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, you're going to seek the, the welfare and the betterment of your employees. Right. Yeah. You want that. You're not going to keep them so many hours that they ruin their family life. Right. And right. You're not going to put out a product or, or present a service that lacks integrity or lacks the ability to actually help or advance something positive in the community or in the customers lives or businesses that you're serving. It, you know, it's, exactly. it's those kinds of things and then developing opportunities for kingdom relationships, you know, within your business and within the sphere. So combine social and spiritual entrepreneurship, Mary vision and action. He talks about the difference between, you know, talking about it and then talking about it, actually doing something, uh, taking vision and actually moving it to action where the church is getting involved, not just being a place where truth is talked about, but being a people who live out that truth. Mm, I like that. Which is this next one. Uh, number five is shape a people development culture. Shape a people development culture. What do you think about that one, Johnny? I like that. That's a challenge uh, for, for folks who have my personality style. Um, the way my personality works is I can sometimes see people as assets and be worried more about how I can use those assets to be a church development culture. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And that's an area that I uh, hopefully am inviting the spirit into and saying, okay, if transformation is going to happen, it's not going to happen because people are assets who are being put in the right places, but because people are being transformed and people are being developed. And that's a good word, I think, for all churches and all pastors who are listening, that if we're not in the business of developing the, the folks who are in our church, what hope are those folks going to have of making an impact in the world? People need to walk out of our doors different than they came in. And uh, it's not by yelling at them and it's not by moving them like pieces on a chessboard, but it's about 
you know, it's by getting into their lives with them and helping them develop as as people, as parents, as spouses, as coworkers, whatever it is. Um, but I like that a people development culture. Yeah, let me just read the last three, and then uh, we'll we'll start to wrap this up. Uh, curry leadership curiosity. Number seven is call the party. Man, I'm trying to remember what that one is. Uh, I I just got this book yesterday. I've had it on Kindle now for a week, but I got the physical copy yesterday. And I kind of know what it is, but I can't verbalize it. Uh, And then the last one is maintain optimism. But in parentheses, it's maintain a pain-tinged optimism. Hmm. Because just simply maintaining optimism can sometimes be plastic because there's pain in the world, sure. right? Uh, but a kingdom collaborator will maintain optimism even in painful and difficult times. Right. Even if it's pain-tinged optimism, uh, they'll maintain it. Now, what Reggie said in that answer about uh, small church pastors leading the way and getting involved in their community, just going into a school and asking, you know, where can I help? You know, what can be done? And then, and then when the people see the pastor doing that, then they're going to get involved. They're going to step forward. They're actually going to, they, they will follow if the pastor goes first and the pastor leads the way. Johnny, when we were in Orange City, uh, you got some, you got some people involved in that uh, women's ministry, uh, that ministry for women who are in some life crises some situations in their life. And I think you got involved in providing breakfast one day and a few other things. Do you remember that? I do. I remember that. It was a matter of, I think, getting folks to see the need, uh, especially in that community. And really, I mean, I'm in the suburbs now and it's easy in the suburbs too. People can believe that there aren't needs all around them. Mm -hmm. They can fall into this belief that everything is okay. You know, if I have enough, the people around me probably have enough too. And it was a matter of, I guess, bringing to people's attention that there are people in our community who are struggling. There are people in our community who don't have enough. There are people in our community who are in need and saying, hey, we're all getting together at nine o'clock in the morning anyway for the sake of um, Bible study. Why don't we take this nine o'clock meeting and go over to this home for women who were in yeah hard situations and make some breakfast and sit and talk to some people? And so that's what we did. And uh, it was just a matter of showing people the need and uh, developing a plan, getting getting a little bit of organization around it. And we were able to do that. And then there was folks who connected with that ministry longer term from that initial meeting. You know, they bought into the vision that uh, that ministry had and they were uh, willing to continue to do other things and meet other needs at that uh, at that particular location uh, beyond that initial first morning that we spent together. And again, I just thought Reggie's answer was great. Pastor, just, just get involved in anything. And Johnny, we, yeah. we'd started, uh, we started a, a dinner, a Sunday dinner for college students. And yep. one of the things that you encouraged was to not have any kind of a program, no agenda, just feed college students, let them come, let them sit, sit around round tables and eat. And we would feed them and eat with them and get to know them. And that's the basis for something that we're going to be doing here 
uh, on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to have a breakfast for the families that are involved in our Wednesday night ministries. We're going to invite hmm. them especially. And then we're just going to do three weeks after that, we're, we're going to do breakfast from 930 to 1015 and just the, invite them to community breakfast and bring their kids and just have breakfast with us and follow up. I have no idea how it's going to go. I, I have no idea. <laughs> And there's not, not going to be any agenda. It's just come and eat. Come to the table is kind of the uh, theme for our Easter week uh, here at the church. And so we're just going to yeah. continue that theme and just and just invite people to come and eat. You don't have to be any size church to do that. Um, you know, you could invite 10, 15 people to come and, and have a meal together. And just having a meal, nothing else, nothing else, just having a meal and being with people and having conversation. I learned from those Sunday dinners with college students, and I think our church learned how powerful that really is. Absolutely. There was folks who wondered, well, what is the point of us doing this? What is the, do we have a goal in mind here? Right, you right, know, right. Et cetera, et cetera. I said, man, the power of being with people, the power of, of invitation with no ask is strong. And uh, we had we had a big booming ministry to college students after those dinners started. And that wasn't why I did it. But certainly students felt loved and they wanted to go to a place where they felt loved. And we intentionally did a supper so that we didn't make it seem as though uh, if they didn't come to church, they couldn't eat. You know, there was a number of hours between church and, and the time that we ate. And I think that that really spoke to students. So I think that's cool. That's cool that you're doing that, Jeff. That's a cool ministry. Yeah, I forgot that that we did that. We didn't do it right after church. And that's right. We, we just didn't want it to be, hey, if you come to church, we'll feed you. No, we wanted it to be, you don't even have to come to church on Sunday morning. If you want to show up at, at 6 p.m. Sunday night, we'll feed you. And yeah. they showed up by the droves and our people cooked food and prepped food by yes. the droves. I mean, very, just how many times, one, maybe two times, did we just about run out of food? Yep. Uh, but, but our <laughs> folks cooked it and, uh, and, and they were fed. So just trying anything, just trying anything, getting out in the community and getting out from the four walls of your church and doing anything and realize that the kingdom is not the four walls of your building. Yep. But the kingdom is the people of God moving out and causing around them things to happen on earth as they do in heaven. It's really, it's exciting. It's really exciting. I sat with a small church pastor last week, Johnny, who he, he works three mornings a week, I think eight hours a day for three mornings a week as a butcher okay. here in town. Oh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he, he cuts meat at the local, uh, big, big, uh, supermarket, but then he's a pastor all the time for this congregation of like 60, 60 to 90. Okay. And it's, a, it's actually a vineyard church and they serve the most underserved people in our community. Hmm. And they have, they have weekends where they give away toilet paper. They have weekends where they give away diapers. 
Wow. They have weekends when they get where they give away food. They go out into the community. They just take gift cards out and will stop people and just hand them a gift card, say, our church just wants to bless you with this. Can we pray for you? And just do like 30-minute prayers. Hmm. Uh, and this guy, this guy is a real deal. And I told him, I said, I said, you are everything that is good about small church ministry. And, and he doesn't want to go full-time. He wants to stay connected in the community. And he wants to work, you know, the hourly job so that he could be with the real people, you know, through the week. Yeah. So, and, and his wife's a teacher in uh, one of the elementary schools. That's and, awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's just cool. And it just reminded me, I almost felt a little bit slimy being a full-time pastor sitting with this guy. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I'm serious. And I want you, you that are, you that are bivocational pastors, I want you to feel the honor in this because- some of you, many, if not most or all of you, could go and find a church that would pay you full time. But for whatever reason, you've decided to be bivocational and you're serving in your community and you're doing this church just out of sheer love for the people and love for God. And, and you're working another job. It's not easy, but it's the way you've decided to do it. Mm. You have all the respect from us. You really do. And yeah. So anyway, it was exciting. I sat in an Arby's uh, and, and ate. I had fish sandwich, a fit night. Oh, a delicious fish sandwich, Johnny. It's, it's Lent. <laughs> It's I love Lent. I love <laughs> I get my fish sandwiches. Um, it was awesome to sit and talk with this guy. That's and cool, I, man. Seriously, uh, I'm going to talk to, I'm going to sit and talk with a pastor of a church of 1,200 with six locations here in, in a couple weeks. And honestly, uh, I will not have as much fun as I had talking to Pastor Kaz. Mm. Pastor Kaz of the something vineyard uh, assembly. I don't even remember the name of it, <laughs> but he's just doing awesome work. That's cool, awesome man. Work. So cool. Johnny, what do you got? Anything, anything to land this plane with? My landing spot is that we cannot lose sight of what this whole pastor thing is all about, which is about the kingdom of God, which is about spreading the love of Jesus around to those who need it the most to transform, to see and be part of the transformation that God is doing in the world. A couple of weeks ago, I preached that if you needed hope, if you wanted to find hope, that Jesus offered hope, but he also told us that in order to experience that hope, we needed to go join in the work that God is doing in the world. Because hmm. if you don't see God moving, you can't have hope. And the thing is, if you don't see God moving, it's because you're not moving in the right circles. So if you've lost hope today, I would encourage you to get out and go find where God is at work in your community because he's at work and join in the work that God is doing. Join in that kingdom movement and get a dose of hope in your life and get a dose of reality that this is what it's about. It's not about programs. It's not about Sunday mornings. Those things are great. I love them. I think about them. They're important. But really, those are just driving this this true thing that this is about, which is about the kingdom of God, seeing lives changed, lives transformed. So that's my word to end on is go get yourself some hope by joining in what God is doing. Can I add one thing to it? Please. Go, go get yourself a review of 200 churches on iTunes, baby. <laughs> we've got 98 reviews and we've got 93 five-star reviews and five four-star reviews. There are no... No three, oh, okay. no two, no one star reviews. None of those. So 
We need two more reviews on <laughs> iTunes to hit 100. Who will be the hero? There you go. Which of our listeners will be our hero and take us over the top? So if you see there's 99 <laughs> and you put up that 100th, make sure you put your name in there and yeah, we'll do something special. I don't know what it'll be, but trust me. Trust me. It will be special. <laughs> I'm serious. It will be kind of special. Oh, man. That's the promise. You heard it here first. And uh, hopefully next week we can announce our 100th review here on the 200 Churches podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com. And to access every one of our hundreds of past episodes, go to 200churches.com slash podcast. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with yet another brand new awesome episode recorded specifically for small church pastors just like you. So until next week, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church. Thank you for listening to the 200 Churches podcast. Last week, Johnny forgot to put me on, but here I am back again. Learned it all from you, Jonathan. I don't know about that. <laughs> learned it all from you. I learned a lot of that stuff from you, man. Now, you certainly didn't learn how to say it in ways that didn't upset people from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but just the whole issue. Sure. Just I, I mean the the whole and then this week is Luke uh, six twenty seven to thirty six, where you know love your enemies, mm-hmm. um, love those who hate you you know all this stuff i mean this is the heart this is like the beating heart of the book of luke right here for sure this is the heartbeat of the kingdom so i'm excited excited about this this one coming up this is a this is an important one i like it man so okay let's do this thing i'm ready